Today on Not Sam Wrestling, another unbelievable chapter in the story of the bloodline. Is AEW Collision in trouble? And what's next for Edge? This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, baby, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, the only wrestling podcast in the world, hosted every single week by yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. Hope everybody's good. Hope uh, all of you that are listening in the States had some vacation time over 4th of July week. Uh, You know, it's the summer, even if you're not in the States. It's the summer, and things are heating up. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Of course, on the road to SummerSlam. Before we get any further, we're going to be a part of SummerSlam week. In fact, we're going to be a part of SummerSlam day coming up Saturday, August 5th. That's the same Saturday that SummerSlam's taking place on. Detroit, Michigan, show up, show out at the Detroit House of Comedy, 5 p.m., only a block away from Ford Field. If you're going to SummerSlam, come see Not Sam Live at the Detroit House of Comedy right before the show. It's going to be the ultimate tailgate party, the podcast extravaganza of the summer. Come to Not Sam Live. You can go to NotSamLive.com to get your tickets to see Not Sam Wrestling at the Detroit House of Comedy, Saturday, August 5th, at 5 p.m., plenty of time to also go to SummerSlam right after the show. And we're on the road, baby. I mean, where else should we be starting today but with the bloodline? I mean, it's like a, it's, it's a Friday tradition. Whatever I've got planned for the podcast gets put aside once SmackDown comes on, especially if Roman Reigns is on the show because... This week on SmackDown, in the latest saga of the, the, the bloodline, we got one of the most dramatic segments that we've gotten from this story. And that's saying a lot from a story that's been full of dramatic segments. We got a tear, a single Denzel tear rolling down the cheek of Roman Reigns as he kneeled before Zod or Jey Uso. In this case, ready to hand over the reins, no pun intended, of the tribal chief. I mean, WWE is putting on Sunday HBO primetime quality drama with this bloodline story. A lot of people are referring to it as cinema. Every week it's cinema. Every week it's a movie. And I mean, it's not wrong. I really feel like this this act of the bloodline that we're in now. I would call it a third act. I think I have called it a third act, but that implies that it's nearing its end. And I'm not sure that it's nearing its end. But this era of the bloodline to me is the cinematic era. I feel like the beginning of the bloodline was all about Roman Reigns asserting himself as this new dominant personality that we hadn't seen before out of that character. The second act was the bloodline faction becoming the most dominant force that the WWE had ever seen and and Sami Zayn's run with them and just just them steamrolling 
everybody. And this third act is all about, it's all about the drama. It's all about, I mean, it kind of starts with Drew McIntyre in a way, but really to me, Survivor Series is where it starts. That dramatic twist at the end of war games, leading to the tribal court, leading to the Royal Rumble, leading to the Sammy turn, leading to the Sammy match, leading to Cody trying to finish the story, leading to WrestleMania, leading to Jey Uso. And as we watch this build with Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso, and as we watch Jey Uso now be put in this position where Roman versus Jey Uso for the WWE Championship is the match that everybody wants to see more than anything else. There is no bigger headlining match. Think about SummerSlam as a pay-per-view, right? SummerSlam 2020, Roman Reigns returns. SummerSlam 2021 is Roman Reigns versus John Cena. SummerSlam 2022 is Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, last man standing. SummerSlam 2023, How? what is the biggest match that we could have conceivably? Because that's what these SummerSlams have been. And it truly is Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns. And a big part of that is not just the story and where it's led us, but it's also the fact that, that Jey got that first pinfall victory over Roman Reigns in three years. Without that victory... This story isn't the same story. Without Jey Uso being, knowing that he's the first person in three years to pin Roman Reigns, that he's the only person that's pinned this version of Roman Reigns for a three count. Without him knowing that and having that confidence, this is not the same story. And the only way we get that, and this is gonna drive a lot of people insane, the only way we get the Jey Uso-Roman Reigns drama that we have now is if Roman Reigns beats Cody at WrestleMania. You, you, you could still have bloodline drama. You could still have Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. But Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso after Roman has lost the championship to Cody Rhodes, it's, it's, it's the petering out of this story. It's not, it's not a chapter in the bloodline saga. Because when Cody's story ends, so does Roman's. So if Jay is, is, is facing Roman Reigns at SummerSlam and might finally beat him, but Roman's already lost to Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania, we're tying up loose ends at best. We're not telling these high-profile, top-tier stories that haven't been done in wrestling. You know, there, there, there was, after WrestleMania, when people were trying to cope I mean, the idea that Cody might lose to Roman Reigns was something, and I talked about it on the show, okay? If you guys would have just listened to me from the beginning, I told you Roman Reigns was my pick. I told you that Cody winning at WrestleMania this year wasn't the move for me. People couldn't conceive of it. People were like, there's no way. I don't understand. They'd be insane to do something like that. And then when Cody did lose... I mean, the conspiracy theories that started spewing out of people. Vince must have just shown up day of and made the decision. Oh, I'll bet that, I, I saw one that, like, I'll bet that they were going to do Cody versus Brock for the world title. And this bloodline thing was also going to happen. But I'll bet Cody was supposed to be the champion this whole time. I bet Cody was always supposed to win. And it's like, or not. Or not, because none of these story steps have the weight that they've got today 
had Roman Reigns lost to Cody Rhodes. And I get back to that because we get to SmackDown, right? And and the Usos come out just with all the confidence in the world. And this announcement's been made that there's going to be a tribal court. It's the first time we've seen tribal court since January. I believe was tribal court in Brooklyn. Maybe. Raw XXX. I feel like Raw XXX was the tribal court and it was in New York. And the next tribal court since then, since the Sami Zayn tribal court is now in Madison Square Garden. At the first tribal court, Sami Zayn is found guilty. But Jey Uso is the one that stops the verdict from being handed down, stops Solo Sokoa from spiking Sami Zayn and removing Sami from the bloodline. We realized, because when I saw that there's tribal court was happening, I was like, well, what's the basis for this? Who is is Roman bringing himself to court because he got pinned by Jey Uso? And you realize once we get there that Jey Uso and Jimmy Uso, that these are the people who have called this court, this trial into session. You go, oh, okay. And Roman, Roman is in there and he goes, you know what? I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. And that lay, that same lay, the red lay, it's the same lay that we saw Umaga wear years ago that's come to symbolize even more so than the Universal Championship to an extent. Title is essential. But that ceremonial lay that is the lay worn by the tribal chief, that that entire dynasty cares about so much, I mean, he hands, he puts it on Jey Uso. And he goes, I don't want it. And Jay is ready to accept it. That's key too, right? Jay is not, oh, I don't know. He's not bashful about it. He's ready to accept it. In Jay's mind, he's pinned the tribal chief. And therefore, he is the tribal chief. And Roman Reigns gets down and, and, and the way that Roman gets down on one knee it's like he's got the worst arthritis you've ever seen. He is pained getting down on one knee. He knows his time has come, but he is pained. And the beauty of all this is that as fans, I don't know that we actively think that Roman Reigns is going to give up the tribal chief, right? That we're sitting here watching Roman Reigns just hand it over. I think on paper, none of us actually believe that this is what Roman is going to do. But in that moment, the story's being told so well, we're going on whatever ride we're being taken on. And that's something that has been prevalent throughout this entire bloodline saga, that we just go with the story because we're buying into it. And that's the way good stories are supposed to be told. And I think the moment that whether you believe it's going to happen or not, you buy into it, is when they get that shot of Roman Reigns' face. And you see it. You see he's he's crying. He's tearing. A tear is rolling down his face. Someone, I don't know if Roman Reigns, unbeknownst to us, got himself into some acting classes or something between suffering succotash and now, but the man is crying on command. Who does that? Hollywood actors don't even do that. They put the weird, you know, chemicals or whatever in their eyeballs to make it seem like they're crying. Roman 
is doing it live on television in the middle of the ring in front of 15,000 people at Madison Square Garden. And when I say live on television, that's not to be undersold because SmackDown on Fox, WWE's most watched show that's on network, not cable, network television in WWE's most historic arena, Madison Square Garden. The show is being opened by a 35-minute promo segment. This is so huge, not just because it's the promo segment, not just because it was 35 minutes long, but number one, the entire wrestling world stops for it. Go on wrestling Twitter when this stuff is happening. And it's like, it's all anybody is invested in. And they're invested in the story. And you finish the promo and you go, how are they going to follow this? Can you imagine that? A 35-minute promo segment to start SmackDown? And as a fan, you're going, they're going to have a tough time following that. That's crazy. So Roman is down on his knee, right? tear rolling down his face. He's ready to just say, Jay, you're the tribal chief. And then boom, we should have seen it coming. Low blow to Jay Uso. Jimmy can't believe it, but he springs into action, but it's to no avail. As Solo Sokoa takes out Jimmy Uso, they've got the advantage over the Usos and the whole thing ends with Solo Sokoa. He's tied for, oh, the subtleties is all this is going on, the layers of storytelling that we're witnessing. As Solo comes to Roman's defense, picks up the tribal chief lay, but he's not ready to give it back to Roman Reigns. And they don't just wink at it. They don't just make it seem like, oh, if you caught it, you caught it. They made it this time so that you couldn't miss it. I mean, there was like a full 30 seconds, if not more, of Solo holding the lay, not wanting to hand it over to Roman Reigns, leading everyone to go, okay, I'm fully invested in this Jey Uso thing, but what is going on in the mind of Solo Sokoa right now as he's beating up his older brothers to defend the tribal chief, but really, in his head, maybe he thinks he is the tribal chief. And so before that tension can come to a full boil, the Usos are back on the attack. Now we're back to Roman and Solo beating up the Usos. I guess we're going to deal with Roman and Solo's drama later. Because Solo now has Jey Uso tied up in the ropes. He's doing that thing where he holds his jaw. So Solo, so, so Jay has no choice but to watch the damage that's about to be inflicted on his brother. And Roman Reigns is shouting at Jey Uso as Jay is kicking him. And Roman's smacking his feet away. And Roman Reigns is saying, you thought you were going to be the tribal chief? You thought you were going to be the tribal chief? That'll never happen. As long as I'm alive, that will never happen. And Jey Uso gets slammed through that table, gets taken out. Ambulance comes and gets him. Jimmy goes with him. All the baby faces look unconcerned as that ambulance pulls out of Madison Square Garden. And we go, whoa, what's the rest of SmackDown going to look like? 
unbelievable that they just opened with a 35-minute promo segment. We don't even realize as, as SmackDown goes on and we have an edge match, which we'll talk about in a minute. We have all this stuff happening. The edge match ends with 13 minutes still on the show, something like that. And Paul Heyman tells Roman, my tribal chief, Jey Uso's back and he's looking for you. And Roman says, well, I'm not going to be tough to find. Somebody tell Jey Uso I'll be in the ring. Go to commercial, and here we go. Not only are we getting that 35-minute promo segment, but we're bookending with bloodline segments as Jey Uso comes down from the crowd as if he's Roman Reigns in the shield, walking right down the same vestibule that Roman Reigns would have walked down. And, I mean, he is on fire as he jumps right out. First, he takes out Solo Sokoa. Dives in the ring. Roman says, you're making a mistake. Jay says, no, I'm not. Avoids the Roman attack. Hits him with the chair. Gets Roman out of the ring. Leaves the bloodline defenseless as Roman and Solo retreat. Roman yelling, put it down. Because Jay is in the ring holding up the big gold, the new big gold, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship title. And he says to Roman, this is now trial by combat. No brothers, no wise men, no nothing. Me versus you for the title. So I can whoop that ass again, he says. And here we are in a position where it looks like we're getting Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, I would imagine, for the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. And we got this moment, right? Where Jimmy is now organically out of the picture. And Jay is on his own. And we look at what it looks like for Jay Uso to be holding the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. And I think we're still at the point where most people are saying we don't think Jay's gonna be the one to beat Roman, but boy, would it make sense if Jay was the one to beat Roman. I think that is sort of the the overarching thought pattern behind what we're seeing. But I believe as we get closer to SummerSlam, you're only going to feel more like, well, maybe they should. Well, maybe they should. I mean, before 2023, nobody was like, Sami Zayn should be the universal champion. But by the time we got to February, it was like, I know this wasn't in the cards. I know we were planning on going to WrestleMania. I know, but I mean, come on, you got to put the title on Sami Zayn. I think they're going for another one of those moments. And step, I guess, two at this point. Step one, Jey Uso pins Roman. Step two, we take a look at what it, what it looks like to see Jey Uso in the ring with that big gold belt. A lot of people said from the beginning this was Jey Uso's story. The Bloodline story was really Jey Uso's story. The fact that it started with Roman and Jey. The fact that we all got to witness the initiation of Jey Uso. We all saw the mental abuse that he went through. We all saw the deterioration of his psyche that happened under the watch of the tribal chief. And we all saw how he got indoctrinated into the Bloodline. We all saw what a big part of the Sami Zayn story Jey Uso was. First being the one of the bloodline who didn't trust him. Then being the one 
who would defend him than being the one who was wrong about Sami Zayn. And while I think Jey Uso has been an integral, integral part of the Bloodline story, I don't think you could really argue that it's ever been anyone's story except Roman Reigns. You know, the same way we said, it wasn't Cody's story at WrestleMania, it was Roman Reigns' story. Cody trying to finish the story was just another part of Roman's story. Another thing that Roman ended, whether that was Edge saying he wanted one more shot with the title. Whether that was Sami Zayn saying, you know, this is it. This is my WrestleMania. Whether it was whoever. Drew McIntyre showing up to Cardiff. It was all Roman's story. It's always been Roman's story. It always will be Roman's story. So just brilliant, brilliant television once again on the part of the bloodline. Uh, I, you know, I, I just feel like they're going to have, I think it's hard to imagine maintaining the heat that you got from Sami Zayn and from Cody Rhodes. But I think we've gotten there. WWE is taking their time telling this bloodline story. But in taking their time, there's a lot of meat on the bone along the way. So by the time you get to these giant title matches, that's exactly what they are. And it is so rewarding to watch it all happen. I mean, one of the things that, that we were just talking about was that on SmackDown, the second segment, this, the, the end of the Bloodline uh, segment, it followed a surprise edge return in Madison Square Garden. What could possibly follow a surprise edge match in Madison Square Garden? And it's this. Now, uh, Grayson Waller has just been, he's been put in a couple of, I mean, a, a handful now of extremely high profile sink or swim situations. And man, is he backstroking through all of it. It was Logan Paul. It was John Cena at Money in the Bank. It's Edge at Madison Square Garden. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't on the main roster up until, you know, two months ago, three months ago at the draft. And then at SmackDown has his first main roster match. This is his first main roster match. And it's against Edge at Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's one thing to have faith in a person. But this is going, look, we got high hopes for you. Let's see if you what you can deliver right now. What can you give us right now? And Grayson Waller, I think, responded, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Grayson Waller is one of those guys who, when you watch him, he is poised to have a career in the WWE for the next 20 years. You look at him, and and unless something catastrophic happens, there's no reason why he can't go on a track similar to The Miz. And I say that in the most positive way possible. There's very few people that have had runs 
like The Miz has had. Especially, and, and while sure, it's like not everything The Miz has ever done has been the biggest deal in the world. Some of it has. He's main event at a WrestleMania. He did the mixed tag with John Cena. He's won the world championship multiple times. Successful money in the bank cash-ins. This is a guy who never gets knocked out. This is one of those guys who took the Intercontinental Championship and did amazing things with it. He elevated that title when he had it. This is, don't get me started on the talking smack thing with him and, and Daniel Bryan. I mean, The Miz is a guy who, if you really go through his career, it's like, wow, just look at what this guy has accomplished. And I, I, think, I think Grayson Waller is on track to be that guy who has an exceptionally long career. I don't think he will ever be a babyface. I think that the the persona that he's got right now is such a perfect, timeless villain that people will continuously be interested in watching that I think, you know, if I watched him and he was in there with Edge and John Cena and he wasn't quite ready, I'd go, yeah, there's no reason to pull the plug, but clearly he needs a little bit more time. Clearly he needs it, but he doesn't need more time. He's there now. And I think he's going to be there for a very long time. So Grayson Waller does the promo segment with Edge, you know, the Grayson Waller effect. And, you know, they're hinting again at Edge's retirement. And this is not the first time they've hinted at Edge's retirement. When Edge was involved in the World Heavyweight Championship tournament, the last time we saw him, he was talking about the fact that his WWE career was nearing its end and that he wanted to win the world title and then maybe once he loses the world title, he's done. And I just think that that's a brilliant scenario. I think that Edge is in a very rare spot where he can kind of craft. If he's looking to put a bow on this thing and end his in-ring career. You know, this second wave of Edge has just been, I'm sure for him, a dream come true. You know, this is something that I don't think that any of us, and certainly not him, thought would ever happen. I think he's in a great situation to craft what that final Edge story is going to be. And when you think about, like, how should Edge go out? Everybody wants Edge. It's almost like I, I I want Edge because he's such a wrestling guy, right? He's a wrestling fan. This is his dream from the time he's a little kid. I mean, this is a guy who eats, sleeps, and breathes this stuff. You want Edge to go out on his back. You want Edge in that retirement match to give the ultimate gift to a performer, which is giving him the victory over Edge for the last time. You also still want to have that triumphant moment with Edge. So I almost feel like Edge should have a retirement match and then maybe a year later come back for one more mixed tag, right? Let's see, one more, maybe a year from now, maybe next year at SummerSlam. Edge comes back for one more match. It's a mixed tag. It's a one-off special thing. I never have a problem with that post-retirement. But for all intents and purposes, 
he retires before then. And the question is, how does that happen? And to who do, to, 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 to whom does he retire? I mean, there's a couple of scenarios that are like my dream scenarios. I talked to Matt Cardona when Matt Cardona was on the podcast. The idea that, that Matt Cardona would return to the WWE and retire Edge is such poetry. I, I can't think of a lot better that if Matt Cardona returns to the WWE and he acknowledges that Zack Ryder was a failure and he says that no matter what he did, no matter what he did on YouTube, no matter what he did with his flip cam, no matter what he did in front of live audiences, no matter what he did when he was making original songs at home, that the fans never took him seriously. He was never able to get past that hump. He won the Intercontinental Championship in a ladder match at WrestleMania, but he was never Razor Ramon. And why is that? It's because Edge was insistent on bringing Matt Cardona in as an Edgehead. It's because Edge's ego was such that he needed to find two kids in developmental that kind of looked like him because he wanted lackeys on TV. And the thing about this idiotic WWE universe is they can't see through what's going on. That once you get introduced as a lackey, you're always a lackey. And to them... Zack Ryder was always an edgehead. Zack Ryder was always a lackey. Well, Edge, Zack Ryder is dead. And you know what else is dead? Your career. Because Matt Cardona is back and I'm back to retire you. And then you run that program. And eventually Matt Cardona does beat Edge as Matt Cardona, and Edge goes into retirement. And then a year from now, we can have Edge come back for one more match. Edge and Beth Phoenix versus Matt Cardona and Chelsea. Beth pins Chelsea, and Edge and Beth Phoenix still get that one last pop, if you want to do it. Because by then, you know, Matt Cardona has moved on to whatever Matt Cardona has moved on to. That I would love to see. That's a hoop dream. That I would love to see. I would also love to see Edge chase Seth Rollins for the World Heavyweight Championship. I don't know how it would happen because Edge would have to be drafted over to Raw. I mean, they could make it happen, obviously. The draft rules are not clearly not written in stone. But the idea that Edge would come over to Raw, or maybe he wouldn't even come over to Raw, He's not a Raw superstar. He's just sneaking into the building. He's attacking Seth Rollins because he wants that title, because he had a plan. And that's what he said, because you go, well, why wouldn't he just fight Roman? And that's possible, but we all know how that would go. If Edge says he had a plan and you go back to that promo he cut on Instagram 
about winning the World Heavyweight Championship. I had a plan for that title. Seth, you got all the time in the world to be the World Heavyweight Champion. I could have been the first, and it would have been my last. Well, guess what? I'm going to take it from you. That's going to be the title that I retire. And then you move into a Seth Rollins versus Edge match, title versus career. You build it up to the point where you're like, Edge is going to have one more run. You might even tease opponents that Edge will have after Seth. And then Seth beats Edge. And Edge retires, shakes Seth's hand. You were the better man. My career's over. And you go off into the sunset. Those are probably my true two dream scenarios for Edge. But in terms of what we've actually got in front of us, like if you told me, no, we got to figure out an Edge match for SummerSlam. Edge is going to retire at SummerSlam or even whatever, Survivor Series, right? Edge is going to retire sometime within the next three months. And I don't want him going over to Raw. We're not hiring Matt Cardona and we're not putting him on Raw. So who on the SmackDown roster can retire Edge? And of course you go, well, I would think by the end of the summer, the bloodline thing will be done. Not the, but the Usos-Roman feud will be done, I would think, by the end of the summer. I think that we'll get a match at SummerSlam, and then we'll go to payback with it in September, and then it'll be done. It'll be time to Roman, for Roman to find the next thing, right? Going into October, November Survivor Series, we'll close out the year with one, maybe two non-Bloodline-related opponents. Then we get to the Rumble. Then we head to WrestleMania. So it could be, you know, Roman could retire Edge in October or November, That's and that would be fine, but a little predictable. I think if you're looking at the roster and you're like, and it wouldn't, it's not like it would do anything for Roman. Roman already stacked Edge up under Daniel Bryan. So if he also retired Edge, like he's beaten Edge before. So I don't think that that adds to the legacy of Roman Reigns. I don't think that that necessarily... You know, I, I don't. I, I just don't think that that we talk about the energy that goes forward when you give that to somebody. I don't think that that works for Roman. Uh, however, I think that there's two people that you could give it to that would be like, "Whoa, this is a shot in the arm. Let's see if it works." And this doesn't always work, right? There, it's it, you have to follow through. You have to be serious. I am a fan of the idea of Baron Corbin beating Kurt Angle in Kurt Angle's last match. Now, everybody knows I'm a fan of Baron Corbin. So, obviously, that's going to be part of it. I have my biases. But the idea that Baron Corbin, that's the ultimate heel thing to do. That's not what we wanted Kurt Angle's last match to be. That's not the guy that we wanted to end Kurt Angle's career. But Baron Corbin has gone and spoiled it. The problem is there was no follow-through. There has to be follow-through. Like, it has to lead to the next thing. And if you're not serious about somebody right now, if you don't have the next plan lined up, don't give them that energy. If you don't have Baron Corbin's next plan lined up, don't have him be the guy that beats Kurt Angle. When you have somebody beat Edge and it's a retirement match, have their next thing lined up. So the two names that come to mind are first, 
giving Grayson Waller the victory back. If you're planning, and that could be the easiest one, I think the fact that he does the Grayson Waller effect means that Grayson Waller doesn't have to wrestle all that often. And I, quite frankly, don't think he should go the MJF route a little bit. But I think that that if he's doing the Grayson Waller effect and forever he can say, hey, I retired Edge. You know, he's out there insulting AJ Styles. AJ goes, who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? I'm the guy who retired Edge. That's an easy thing to give to a person that's in Grayson Waller's position. If Grayson says, I want one more match, but if I beat you, I want you out. And Edge goes, of course, you know, I beat you once. I'll beat you again, Waller. No problem. And then Waller wins and Edge does actually retire. That'd be a big rub for Grayson Waller and a nice way to put him into a position immediately that doesn't require him to wrestle every week and build up to it. The other name that's in my head, and this is key to the Baron Corbin argument. If you're serious about this person, I think this is the scenario for it. But if you're not, don't bother. I look at SmackDown right now and I wonder what is the plan with Karrion Cross? You probably thought I was going to say LA Knight, but I wonder what is the plan with Karrion Cross? Are we still doing it or did we have we hit pause on the Karrion Cross experiment? Is this the way we're presenting him or are we looking for a new way to present him? Cuz I don't see Karrion Cross win very many matches. And it's really difficult to take the threats of a big guy seriously if he doesn't win very often. They did a cool thing a while back where he was going through the opponents that he had had. And you could, it was a little retconny, but you could argue that after facing Karrion Cross, each of those opponents had dramatically changed. So even though Karrion hadn't won, he had greatly influenced them. But you can't even really make that argument anymore. And on SmackDown this week, AJ Styles beat him in like three minutes. So if we're hitting pause on the Karrion Cross experiment, then you can't. You like you can't just have Karrion Cross beat Edge to boost him back up to then go, okay, well, you beat Edge, so now we'll figure it out from here. Like, there's got to be plans in motion. If you've got, like, okay, Karrion Cross, if we're going to build, if, if the plan is to build Karrion Cross to a Roman Reigns match that is credible, then Edge is a great start. If it's like, we're going to have Karrion beat AJ Styles, we're going to have him retire Edge, we're going to have him beat this person, you could even have him, you know, I probably wouldn't have him win the United States Championship, but you have him start competing in matches that you don't think he's going to win and all of a sudden he's winning and destroying people, then he retires Edge, well, then you might have created a situation where he could be a threat to Roman Reigns. I mean, it feels more like Roman Reigns last year than Roman Reigns this year. But if you want to do that with Karrion Cross, it would be a good way to do it. I would just need, like, something in writing. 
that tells me you're not going to drop the ball on this one because I am not trying to see Edge retire and to have you drop the ball on giving that to somebody. I would pick one of my first two choices, but that's just me. I generally like my first two choices on just about everything. Uh... So a hot topic uh, this week on the AEW front has been people talking about Collision being in trouble. They go, well, Collision, AEW's new Saturday night show that prominently features CM Punk. It's been three weeks. Ratings keep going down. Collision is DOA. Dead on arrival. Chains and eight ball, baby. And and I think to myself, well, let me answer this question. Is Collision in trouble? The short answer is no, Collision is not in trouble. I don't think. There's nothing uh, about what's going on with Collision right now that I go, oh, they've, they've, they've misstepped here. In fact, as I look at what's happening right now, I go, yeah, this is, this is to be expected. You know, it's a new show. There's 158 hours of wrestling on every week. It still hasn't quite found an identity because it's only three weeks old. Give it a minute. Let it cook. And also, it's July. People are going on vacation. Not only is it Saturday night, but it's Saturdays in July. Give it a second. The idea that people are coming forward and being like, this show that's on Saturday night at 8 o'clock that hasn't had a chance to establish itself yet in, on July 4th weekend, and the ratings weren't that good. Well, I think this show is in trouble. Come on. That sounds more to me like somebody that wants to report bad news. That doesn't sound to me like somebody that's rooting for wrestling to succeed. That sounds to me like somebody that for some reason is invested in seeing people try and fail, which are the worst kind of people. If this is what gets you off, if you enjoy seeing people try and then fail, you probably haven't accomplished much. And there's a very good chance that you're a bad person. And it's probably why you don't have a strong social circle and people generally don't like you. I'm just, uh, probably, right? Who knows? Probably. Now, is collision perfect it's not perfect but it hasn't had a chance to be perfect yet it's brand new look i i think across the board aw to me is they're doing some things so right and you just look at it and you go more of that like you say what you want about ratings you say what you want about about the fact that they're not as hot as they were a few years ago. But I'll tell you right now, in terms of wrestling circles, everywhere I went for the last week, people were bringing up the MJF Adam Cole entrance. And that's the key. They were bringing up the entrance. To me, when you watch what's going on with MJF and Adam Cole, right? They had a match, a tag match. It was a good match. But ultimately... Match didn't matter. The entrance mattered. MJF yelling, let's do a double clothesline. Let's do a double clothesline. Like MJF spending the whole match calling for the double clothesline. 
And then the final segment with the birthday cake and MJF singing to Adam Cole and all of that, that's what mattered. What's compelling about MJF and Adam Cole is number one, there's a great chemistry between the two of them. I, uh, to me, this MJF Adam Cole thing is very much working. And number two, you're left with this question. What is Max going to do? What is MJF's plan here? You know he's always got something up his sleeve. You know this is always leading somewhere. What is MJF going to do? You know what else I thought worked very well on Dynamite specifically? Don Callis and Chris Jericho. In the ring together, talking. Don Callis saying, I want to bring you into the Don Callis family. Chris Jericho saying, you want me in your faction? Don Callis saying, yes, I do. Chris Jericho saying, I don't join factions. I make them. So my answer is very simple. Maybe. And then I, st I started to get these visions of what a new version of Chris Jericho would look like in that Don Callis family faction as the leader of that faction. Because, you know, I mean, even though it was called the Heenan family, it's not like... Bobby Heenan was bossing around Andre the Giant. That would ultimately be how everybody turned babyface. That Bobby Heenan would get too big for his britches, try to boss around the heel. The heel would finally have enough, smack the taste out of Bobby Heenan's mouth. And the next time we show up in the town, we're cheering for the heel. He's a babyface. Right? So just because it's called the Don Callis family doesn't mean Chris Jericho can't be the leader. And I, I started going back to like 2008 era Chris Jericho. Like, we've had Judas Jericho for quite some time now. And, you know, Chris Jericho, in the interviews that I've done with him, he's always been one of those guys who, like, during his WWE heel run, that was a real heel run, he said, no merch, no T-shirts, nothing with me at the merch stand, and I'm not signing autographs, and, you know, I'm doing whatever I can do to make sure that when I come to the ring, those fans are genuinely booing me. Not going, oh, yeah, I know he's, he's, he says all this, but he's actually a good guy. No, 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 no. I want those fans genuinely booing me. What if that Jericho, what if suit and tie Jericho? I'm not saying he has to wear a suit and tie, but what if serious Jericho heel came back? What if he slicked his hair back and had like a 1980s Wall Street hair gel ponytail? Right? What if what if what if what if what if kind of a hybrid of today's Jericho meets 2008 Jericho? Serious, badass, villain, consciousness Jericho came back, managed by Don Callis. How much fun would that be? It'd be fun. But that's why it worked cuz I'm going what's Jericho's motivation here? What's next for Jericho? You know what I thought was the best segment of Collision this week was the top of the show promo with Punk. First of all, the Miro stuff, the Miro, I, here's what I like about Collision. I like the Saturday night's main event promos that start the show, that build up those matches, right? But to me, Collision should almost have like two big matches a week and that's kind of it. Everything else should be like enhancement talent matches, which they've done a couple times. They did with the, with the What's-Her-Face from Malachi Black's faction, Julia Hart, 
I thought the other girl got way too much offense in on Julia Hart, by the way. I thought Julia Hart should have just dominated, right? And and it doesn't have to be, it's like this, because you don't look at her and go, oh, that's like China 2.0. You know, she's not this massive power force. But if she were just so like, like a scorpion, you know, a scorpion's small, but lethal. You're afraid of that scorpion. If Julia Hart were just ready to strike at any moment, make her matches quick, give her a few holes that she does, and have her not take much offense, right? And certainly not power offense from the other person. But yeah, that, that that's I, I I think it should be all storytelling. I thought I like I always like that they start the show like that. Uh, uh, the Miro stuff has been really really good. I love the presentation of Powerhouse Hobbs this week. You know, coming out with the camera on his back, and then they circle around him, and he comes to the ring. But to me, the best pro, the best segment of the whole show was CM Punk coming out in the beginning. CM Punk walking out, no music, grabbing a mic, and it's almost like, yeah, this is CM Punk's show, but CM Punk has to prove why this is his show every week. You know? I think, I like that Samoa Joe turned on him at the end of their match, even though the match was over, but I feel like they didn't tell that story well enough. I felt like on Saturday itself, on the show itself, they did a good job of hyping up the match. The fact that there was a promo before to open the show. The fact that they went to a video package showing their history in Ring of Honor. I thought that was essential. The fact that they showed Samoa Joe getting ready for the match before commercial break and everything. Like it was a nice buildup to it on the Saturday itself. But leading to the Saturday, I don't think they made enough of it. CM Punk goes on the mic and he says, this is the most important match of my career. That wasn't sold to me at all. I didn't hear from the commentators why that was so important. I didn't hear from uh, on Wednesday before Collision why it was so important. I didn't I didn't buy. I've seen CM Punk's matches. Uh, 2011 Money in the Bank, you know, Undertaker at WrestleMania. Even his Ring of Honor match, I, I AEW, I didn't even I wasn't even sold that this was his most important AEW match. Like I almost feel like we should have maybe even waited before having this match. And, and really gone into the fact. Maybe maybe it should have been on CM Punk's opening night. Have Samoa Joe going, I'm not impressed. You know, but this goes back to what I said in the beginning of that uh, uh, story where Tony Khan was doing interviews going, well, the CM Punk-Samoa Joe rivalry has been restarted. And it's like, it hasn't. There are matches, but the rivalry hasn't been restarted because who watching the show, like... I would imagine a lot of people watching AEW are aware that there's history between Samoa Joe and CM Punk. But, you know, Ring of Honor was like an independent DVD promotion. I was up on Ring of Honor, but you would have had to have been a hardcore fan 20, well, maybe not 20 years ago, but 15 years ago that still watches wrestling hardcore to really get what's going on. Whereas they could have easily perfectly spelled it out over the course of a couple weeks have Samoa Joe going you've never beat me it's been 19 years I guess I guess they said it and they say 19 years almost 20 years it's been all this time you travel the world you drop pipe bombs you've won championships but you never beat me because you can't beat me and give CM Punk that seed of doubt I don't know maybe I can't 
And even as we're building towards Forbidden Door, when CM Punk is in there, it's like have him know, oh boy, like understand that CM Punk's mentality going into this Owen Hart opening round match, opening round tournament match, may be off kilter because he's worried about having to fight Samoa Joe in the second round because he doesn't think he can beat Samoa Joe. And like over, like, like really lay it on. So by the time we get to CM Punk versus Samoa Joe, it's like, this is what we've been waiting for. As opposed to, oh, that's cool. I remember from Ring of Honor. You know, I think, I think the same way uh, fans have to let Collision cook and allow it to take the shape of what it's going to take the shape of, because all the elements are there for it to be successful and for Dynamite to be successful. I think AEW kind of has to let things cook as well. I think AEW has to slow way down between like, oh, this is the most important match of CM Punk's career over here. And then in a week and a half, we're going to do uh, 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 Blood and Guts. And then we're also going to do 60,000 in Wembley. And then a week later, we're going to do a pay-per-view in Chicago. And then we're going to, and it's like, wait, 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 wait. Like what is happening? Slow it down. And 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 explain it to me like I'm eight years old. That's not just a key to wrestling. That's a key to life. Explain it to me like I'm eight years old. The most successful things, like the reason the MJF Adam Cole thing, it was everywhere. That entrance was everywhere. It's because I don't have to explain wrestling to somebody for them to get why that's a fun segment. I don't have to explain wrestling to somebody for them to get MJF. I don't have to explain wrestling to somebody for them to understand the dynamic between MJF and Adam Cole. But when everything is like match-based and moving at a lightning pace, if I wanna get my friend into it, I have to explain wrestling to them. And you can't explain wrestling to somebody. You have to lure them in. You have to get them in with somebody like MJF and Adam Cole, with something like the bloodline with something like Cody Rhodes, right? That doesn't take any explanation. It's right there in front of you. Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. What do you think of that? And then once you bring them in to that, then they start to get it. Then it starts to click. Then they can get into these matches. But if you just do like all these matches, well, what's the bait that we're gonna use to lure them in? I'd like to see more time spent luring people in. Because I think AEW, if they spent time doing that, could shock a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are AEW haters, I find, that are enjoying them, you know, having growing pains. And I think that they could shut a lot of people up. But they gotta, they, they, they gotta make those moves that penetrate beyond, oh man, there were some great matches last week. Right? Because I'm not turning TV on Saturday night for great matches. I wouldn't turn the TV on on Friday night for great matches. Right? It's not an AEW thing. It's a time in the day thing. Hook me. Hook me. And maybe you hook me with hook. Handsome devil that he is. Oh, I was going to go over this uh, SummerSlam potential card, but uh, I'll do that next week when we have time. Uh... A couple of news and notes. I'll tell you what story. First of all, I, I'm enjoying 
a bunch of stuff going on in NXT. We got the announcement that we are going to get uh, Ali versus Wesley for the North American Championship at the Premium Live event at the end of the month, which I think is going to be a banger. Um, and I loved Corbin's no BS, no more BS promo on NXT where he's burning all of his old clothes. I don't know, man. I feel like come August, if Ali and Corbin are still in NXT, I wouldn't mind seeing some more guys come down. I feel like there's potential for like a main roster invasion type of story. For like the type of story where the main roster comes in and goes like, you guys aren't ready. We're going to humiliate you on television. You shouldn't even be on television. We're going to humiliate you on TV. And we're going to shut this whole place down. Because it's giving, it, 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 it's not doing anybody any favors. We come down here, you guys are disrespectful. You guys think you're the future. You haven't done anything. And then you build and, you know, at first, all the main roster guys are getting ahead or getting ahead or beating them down or beating them down. And then eventually, the NXT crew, the good guys can come up and defeat the main roster crew. I think it could be a nice three, four month story in NXT that would get people hooked. That's another thing. NXT has good matches. But like, give me something. You know what people talked about at Gold Rush? The fact that the Lone Wolf was back. The match was great. Didn't matter. But there was a conversation about the fact that Baron Corbin brought back the Lone Wolf, the presentation of the Lone Wolf, that moment when the Lone Wolf comes out. That's what people are talking about. And I feel like if you did something like that, where you brought the main roster in and 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 you had a uh, an invasion situation, I think it could be really really cool. Um, I also when we talk about some news and notes, I loved uh, I love what's going on with Champa and Miz right now. Um, uh, uh, the, the the I feel like Champa is bringing out a a, a a very violent, angry side of the Miz, and I think that's really really good. For the Miz. Actually, I did want to share something with you, okay? I wanted to share something because I told you I thought this was where it was going uh, after uh, Money in the Bank. And it's not great news for LA Knight because I thought that uh, LA Knight and Logan Paul was 100% where you should go for uh, SummerSlam. But it was very, very clear to me after Money in the Bank that we're going to go with Logan Paul and Ricochet. That it was the, and it wasn't even at the backstage melee that happened. It was the spot in the match that I was like, I was like, yeah, I mean, after, between the Royal Rumble and now this, clearly it's going to happen. But uh, Logan Paul was on Impulsive. And there's this great clip of him talking about Ricochet. And uh, uh, I want to, I want to share this with you. Let me make sure I got volume on it. There was a botched move with a dangerous landing. Ricochet and I were supposed to do what's called the Spanish fly. And when he hit that rope, it was before me. So I slipped. I'm not even ready. His feet aren't even planted. Just hucks a backflip. I'm like, all right. Went crashing through the table, scraped my shoulder, hit my head on the thing. I'm fine. No concussions or anything. But I'm going to be honest. He blew the match for me. That's why we got into it backstage. Kind of looked like he won the backstage match, too, to be honest with you. Dude. This is perfect. This is why Logan Paul is there. This is new kayfabe. I've talked about new kayfabe forever on this show. The fact that kayfabe isn't remotely dead. That everybody is very workable. I mean, you know, you have you have people who've watched wrestling for decades 
that have like quote unquote journalistic integrity that are telling you, oh, well, you know, part of this is that MJF doesn't want to work uh, uh, Forbidden Door. Why? Because he said it in a promo? You're getting worked, bro. This is Logan Paul doing an amazing job and in a very real way selling us on a Logan Paul versus Ricochet match. Now, I think it's a great idea because Logan Paul needs to get a victory. You say Logan Paul needs a victory, okay? He's had high-profile matches, but he's lost them. He's lost the Royal Rumble. He lost the Money in the Bank. He lost to Roman Reigns. He lost to Seth Rollins. The next time we see Logan Paul, he's got to win. That's why I thought he should win the Money in the Bank because then he could lose to LA Knight. But now since he lost Money in the Bank and LA Knight's nowhere near Logan Paul, that's not going to happen. But Logan Paul going on his podcast and saying Ricochet blew the match. Well, now he's not talking to you like you're an idiot. He's not talking to you like, like you don't know that wrestling is a work. He's talking to you like you're a person with a brain that understands we're performing. But he's basically going on his podcast and saying Ricochet ruined the performance. That he doesn't, he legit doesn't like Ricochet. And now all of a sudden we've got this personal animosity. Now we've got a real beef. I don't even think you needed that melee to tell you the truth. If you can just get Logan Paul to go on the podcast and call out the fact that the spot was blown and that he almost got hurt from it and that he fully blames Ricochet for it. Well, now it's like not only are you going to SummerSlam, but instead of just going to SummerSlam with Logan Paul versus Ricochet in a spot fest, you're going to SummerSlam with Logan Paul versus Ricochet and Logan Paul wants to beat down Ricochet for almost hurting him and ruining that match. And this is, to me, where we've got to get the real Ricochet. This is where Ricochet has to say, look, I know I come out here and I smile and I do flips, but understand something. I've wrestled in every building against every conceivable opponent for 20 years. I bleed this sport. I am this sport. I've been in front of 10 people. I've been in front of 100,000 people. Logan, you come in here and you just cash in instantly. You pay no dues at all. You go to the highest of highs. And then when you can't cut it, you blame the professionals for the fact that you are in way over your head. Take your drink. Put it where the sun don't shine. Come to SummerSlam and understand that I'm going to go stew hard on you. I'm going to teach you what this business is actually about. Now we've got a story. Now we don't have the same ricochet. This isn't the same ricochet that stepped in the ring with Brock Lesnar. This is a ricochet that's annoyed. This is a ricochet that's going, look, we're all here to have a good time. But you go on your podcast and to a large audience, you try to make it seem like I don't know what I'm doing about my profession. We've got a major problem. I'm not coming to SummerSlam to put on a spectacle. I'm coming to SummerSlam to put you in a wheelchair. I'm coming to SummerSlam to make sure that there is no impulsive podcast in August because I'm going to break your jaw. Now we've got a match. Now we've got a story, and I love it. I love it when it gets real. I love the new kayfabe of it. It's great. It's the way it should be.
Also, in news and notes, can't go without mentioning the, the biggest wrestling podcast event of the weekend. The wrestling podcast powers combined at the Peter Rosenberg wedding. It, I mean, wedding of the century, by the way. The who's who of the professional wrestling industry. There's photos that are that are that are floating around of what's being called the professional wrestling Illuminati. But you talk about pro wrestling powerhouse hosts coming together. I'm talking about Peter Rosenberg, Stack Guy Greg, Dip. I'm talking about Kaz Shoemaker. I'm talking about the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, all in one room and somehow the roof stayed on. I guess you had some radio people, you know, your Ebros, your Michael K's, whatever. But the wrestling podcast mega powers of the world and the OGs of this. I mean, honestly, between myself, Rosenberg, and Shoemaker, who's been doing it longer? You tell me. You tell me. All under one roof. It was incredible. Um, just a great time, by the way. Just a great time celebrating great people, the new Mr. and Mrs. Rosenberg. So congratulations to them. I, I got, I got, uh, I was at a great table. MVP was there, Booker T, MJF. It was awesome. It was great. Had a great time. MJF was hitting on my wife, but that's neither here nor there. You know, I don't appreciate it, but that's neither here nor there. Let's uh, do what we do here on Not Sam Wrestling. Let's get to the emails, folks. Emails you want to write in to Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, email notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. We'll go through a few of these uh, while we got time. We're going into overtime today, but that's okay. Ultra Boy writes in, I respectfully disagree with you. That is not how I like emails to start. I don't even under... I don't understand. When I do these podcasts, like... I set my arguments up in such a way where it's like, it's one thing for you to go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. But the idea that after I present an argument that you would still disagree with it makes no sense to me. Let's see what this is about. I respectfully disagree with you. In my opinion, Sammy and KO versus the Usos at WrestleMania was the, I'm not doing this again, was the climax of the Bloodline story. Backlash was the, Falling Action, and Night of Champions as both the ending and the start of the Uso story. No, it's not. I saw how you reacted negatively to my, quote, smart-ass email from a few weeks ago to say I was still wrong with hindsight. I just wanted to say I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... Bro, first of all, never take offense to me getting hot under the collar at your emails. If you email in the show with real questions, I think the world of you. But this is how I communicate. I don't know how to tell you, but but... If I call you a smartass in the email segment, I probably have respect for you. I will skip an email. That's how you know. If I skip your email, either I don't like you or I didn't see the email. So that's that's enough to drive anybody crazy. Um, yeah, no, I can't. I can't. The bloodline story is not. You, there's no way to know that the bloodline story is over until it's over. So the idea that we're already saying the bloodline story has hit its peak I'm telling you, Roman Reigns is taking the title to WrestleMania with the continuation of this story. We're not, it's not done. This is a false flag operation. 
Matt says, uh, best faction breakup ever. In addition to being one of the best overall storylines ever, I now believe the bloodline is the best breakup of a faction we have ever seen in pro wrestling. We haven't seen it yet. The drama of the trials and Sami Zayn and now Roman last Friday has never been matched. Yeah, no, that's true. That's all true. And the break, yeah, the, it's perfect right now. But no more emails about the end of the bloodline. That's going on the same list as fantasy booking Randy Orton. How can you say, you know what's great about the bloodline is the end of it. We're not there. We can talk about it if the bloodline ends on Friday on SmackDown. If they go, yeah, the bloodline's over. Then, okay, we can talk about it on the Monday show. But there's no way that the bloodline's over. The Usos are out of the bloodline. But even then, leading up to this, they've said, Roman, we are still on your side. We're still your family. We still love you. We just want your respect. And if you're not going to respect us, we're going to fight you. The bloodline is not done. The Usos are out. But if Roman beats Jey Uso at SummerSlam and Solo doesn't turn on Roman and Roman doesn't turn on Solo and we come off of SummerSlam and we go to Payback and Roman beats Jey Uso again and now the Usos are just out and Roman Reigns, Solo Sokoa and Paul Heyman continue on, then how are you going to tell me the bloodline's over? It's just too lighter. Uh... Wrestling Minute, which era of wrestling was better, the New Generation era or the PG era? New Generation's better. I mean, and I'm biased because I grew up with the New Generation. I'm not a fan of the PG era, mainly because WrestleMania 27 takes place in the PG era. But I think there are more gems to be found in the New Generation era than there are in the PG era. But it could be a bias, right? It could be just because that's what I grew up with. But that's a good question. Uh, Brandon writes in, uh, love the podcast. If Jay does take the title off Roman, this is what I would love to see happen. As Roman is walking back up the ramp, disbelief, the Rock's music, I'm not gonna. Uh, Michael <laughs> writes in, hey Sam, big fan of the show. I've been listening since the beginning. Wow. I believe it was your first live show at Caroline's with Corey Graves and Paul Heyman. Yeah, 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 that was my first show. By the way, another show coming up. Detroit, I hope you're gonna be there, Michael. Come to Detroit, August 5th, SummerSlam Saturday, 5 p.m. before SummerSlam, the ultimate tailgate at the Detroit House of Comedy, only a block away from Ford Field. Come, hang out, be a part of the show, 5 p.m. Then we'll get you out of there. You go to SummerSlam, you have the time of your life. Uh, let's see. I believe one of my favorite things about your show is anytime you make mention of new generation era stuff. That's very interesting. These two emails were back to back. As you know, there was a lot of campy stuff during that time. My question for you is, did you have any favorites that were just nonsensical? For example, uh, in 1993, uh, my favorites, Bret Hart and Razor Ramon and Crush, Kona Crush, Orange and Purple, bruh, shuckle, bruh. And Sam, I'm talking about such a favorite that when he turned on Macho Man in 1993, I was devastated. I remember that hit hard. I tell friends now uh, this nowadays, and we share huge laughs that I loved Crush so much. My brother was the biggest Crush fan ever, dude. When we went to SummerSlam 92, my brother made a Crush sign. In, in the early 90s, you could just wear neon and be a big guy, and it was enough. Dude, I loved Rad Radford, okay? 
before Luis Piccoli, I loved Rad Radford. When he came in in his sleeve, you know, cut off flannel shirt, I was like, Rad Radford might be the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. This guy's got potential. I loved Rad Radford. I was a fan of Man Mountain Rock. I was a fan of Man Mountain Rock, though, because I was a big Max Payne guy in WCW, and I knew it was him. But I would say Rad Radford is probably my most obscure, like, no, 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 I love that dude. I don't understand why he's not getting more opportunities. Shamo, you know I love Shamo. Is the Bloodline the greatest faction of all time? You can't say something is the greatest if it's happening right now. I think that that is a conversation to be had. I think it's a conversation to be had that's potentially going to end up being the greatest storyline of all time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be tough to argue, but you got to give it a little time. You got to let it run its course because it could end horribly, right? I mean, nobody thought Hogan versus Sting was going to end horribly. It ended worse than anybody could have ever imagined. I don't think the bloodline will, but still. Uh... Micah says, Shayna versus Ronda, SummerSlam fight pitch, loser leaves WWE, what do you think? If Ronda's leaving, I wouldn't even do fight pit, but I would do loser leaves town. Um, if Ronda's leaving, be a nice little bump for Shayna. But I don't think it needs to be fight pit. I think if Shayna's going to get the victory over Ronda Rousey, it would serve her better to do it in the ring. Because then, like, if she wins in the fight pit, it just doesn't have the same, like, does it translate to the ring? You could argue that it doesn't or that it does only somewhat. If she does it in the ring, then, you know, she did it. Um, Scott, uh, I would just like to know your thoughts on Randy Orton's return. You son of a... I joke, I joke. I thought I would share uh, the image from the official Money in the Bank program in London. Love the podcast, Sam. Oh, there it is. Scott, I appreciate it. Yep, I made the Money in the Bank program. If anybody in the UK is listening, uh, I was able, uh, PD, who's one of the great uh, Not Sam Shells, was able to get me a Clash at the Castle program that I was in. If anybody in the UK was at Money in the Bank and is able to get me a program that I'm in, uh, hit me up. Uh, you can email me, notsamwrestling at gmail.com, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Um, Nicholas, uh, I'm sorry. Yesterday, a coworker really pissed me off, and I started to imagine Randy Orton. Come, come on! You can't fantasy book Randy Orton. It's a rule. Here's what we do at Not Sam Wrestling. Watch the product, speculate wildly, and we don't fantasy book Randy Orton. Those three things. That's it. Josh says, uh, hi, Sam. Uh, great show. I'm a fan of Cora Jade. I might be the only one, but I thought she was great as a baby face. I remember the big spot in the war games, uh, and she had some good matches as a face, and now I think she is just lost as a heel. What do you think? Um, I feel like Cora Jade is one of those people who feels like top of the heap in NXT. There's like a thing that happens where if you're not number one, it's tough to find an identity. And I think Cora Jade in NXT fits into that category. I think that, uh, yeah, that, that, well, I think part of it is that the uh, Roxanne storyline kind of was up and down a little bit. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of ready for Cora to get drafted 
to tell you the truth, to make it up to the main roster. Because I think she's great, and I think that that she's very relatable. I think whether she's a babyface or a heel, I think she could do either. It's just a matter of, of giving her a, a good story that she can sink her teeth into. Uh, Capone, I'm currently building a Mount Rushmore. Oh, Adam, sorry. Uh, I'm currently building a Mount Rushmore of the single most iconic WWE moments in history. Okay. Hogan slamming Andre. Mankind being thrown off the shell. Shawn Michaels, I love you. Stone Cold and a sharpshooter. Before I build this masterpiece, can you argue a case for exchanging any one of these with one of your own? Well, Stone Cold and a sharpshooter. First of all, I guess they have, you're looking for in-match moments, right? Because you could argue Stone Cold and a sharpshooter or the Austin 316 promo or Stone Cold stunning Vince McMahon. You know, I would say from a mainstream perspective, Stone Cold stunning Vince McMahon might be more important than Stone Cold in a sharpshooter. I know a lot of hardcore wrestling fans would disagree with me. I think Montreal should be on there in terms of single most iconic WWE moments in history. It, it was the birth of Mr. McMahon as a heel. Hogan slamming Andre. I would, I would go... Hogan slamming Andre, Mankind Sal, Montreal, Stone Cold stunning Vince. Probably, and Sean, I think throwing Jannetty through the barbershop window is more iconic than Sean saying I love you to Ric Flair. Yeah, I, this is, I like this exercise, buddy. I, I, I think you're onto something. Um, Michael, uh, hi, Sam. I listen to your podcast every Monday morning when I get to work. It's awesome that you love the storytelling so much. It got me thinking, have you ever applied to be a color commentator? You'd be awesome on the announce team. Who would you pick as a broadcast partner? Um, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I would hope that everybody in WWE is aware that I would love to join uh, their team. I mean, I've done color commentary, right? I did main event for a little while, so... You know, I don't know. When the time's right, I guess the time will be right. But if I were to pick, I mean, look, this is like a hack answer. But if I'm going to pick a play-by-play -play partner, you'd be an idiot not to pick Michael Cole. Any color commentator in the world right now, if you're like, you get to be a color commentator, who would you want to be your play-by-play -play guy? You're an idiot not to pick Michael Cole. He's the only pick. In 2023, Michael Cole is the simply the only pick. If you're telling me it can't be Michael Cole or it's got to be somebody younger or it's got to be whatever, okay, well, then then we can open up the conversation a little bit more. But in terms of play-by-play, -play, it's Michael Cole and that's it. That's it. Um, Mike, uh, happy 4th of July to you and your family. Appreciate that, buddy. Uh, I haven't heard in recent podcasts you talking about EO, Sky, uh, I have heard in recent podcasts, you talking about EOS guy cashing in her money in the bank against Asuka, and if successfully would likely feud with Bailey. My question is, what about Dakota Kai? Would you send her back to NXT? No, I don't think she needs to go back to NXT uh, and challenge for the women's championship. She seems to be the forgotten member of Damage Control. I don't think she's the forgotten member. I just think she's injured. You know, I, I don't think Damage Control needs to fully break up. I, I think the idea of Bailey and Dakota, the uh, uh, EO Sky feuding 
And then eventually Dakota Kai comes back and she's still on Bailey's side. So now Eosky's got to deal with both of them is the direction that I would go in. You know, it's not that she's forgotten. She's just injured. But yeah, I would keep her with Bailey to tell you the truth. And then if Bailey's not able to beat Eo, then Bailey and Dakota still get to go on and try to get the women's tag team championship. Uh, Dustin writes in, one thing I've had numerous conversations about uh, was just because a superstar is over doesn't mean they should win the big one. Yeah, of course, I agree with that. Whether it be the Rumble, Money in the Bank, World Titles, etc. People have to remember Austin did not win the title until almost one and a half years after the Austin 316 speech. Yeah. But that was just searching for a moment. It's not like Austin wasn't positioned to be the guy, right? Austin 316 happens in in June of 96. Or was that 97? No, 97. Yeah, 97. Right, because Mabel was King of the Ring in... Well, Mabel was King of the Ring in 95, so maybe it was 96. And then Triple H was King of the Ring in 97. But Austin 316, at the point of the promo, he wasn't ready to be the guy, right? Survivor Series 96, he has his match with Brett. WrestleMania 13, he gets made in his match with Brett. Then he goes to SummerSlam 97, and he has his match with Owen, where he beats Owen, but he's injured. So he can't be put over while he's injured, right? So he's out with the injury. I mean, he won the Royal Rumble by cheating in January of that year, right? Before WrestleMania. He was in the Final Four anyway. So, and then, and then, yeah, once he came back, he kind of went straight for the world title. So, I, you know, that's not the best example. Um, the IC title, then the Rumble, and the world title two years later. Triple H said at Money in the Bank press conferences, great things come to those who wait, and that rise is just getting started. Yeah. If you're thinking about LA Knight, don't. I'm I'm worried about how what they're doing to LA Knight. What can I tell you? I mean, I don't. It is what it is. Um, let's see. Uh, Indy, Sam, what's going on, mate? Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on Mania in London. I mean, it'd be great. Uh, do you think it's going to happen? I heard Cody and Triple H in the press conference after Money in the Bank refer making references to some of the colorful language we use in our chants. Would really would that really have an impact on the decision making? No, 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 it wouldn't. There's no way that that has anything to do with it. Or do you think it's more about London paying WWE for the privilege of hosting Mania? P.S. I'm loving the show. I think it is London investing in it. I think it is the idea of moving the entire operation to London. Keep in mind, WrestleMania is like a week long, right? It's, it's you're getting there on Thursday. You're doing SmackDown on Friday with Hall of Fame. You're doing an NXT show. You're doing two nights of WrestleMania. You're doing Raw on Monday. Like, you've got the store. You've got everything. So you're talking five or six days of business operation running out of London the entire time. So while you can maybe do WrestleMania early in the day on Peacock, do you really want SmackDown before WrestleMania, Hall of Fame, Raw after WrestleMania, NXT? Like, do you want all of that on tape delay? Does that mean NXT is going to air in the United States at, like, 7 o'clock in the morning? 
Do you like there's so much to that? And you have to send all of your stuff. All the WrestleMania stuff has to be sent to London. Your entire roster has to be in London. All of your production stuff has to be in London. Everything. Raw, SmackDown. So I, I think that the complications around it, I don't think it has anything to do with the fans. I think the fans are a slam dunk. I, as a matter of fact, I think the fact, if you watch Money in the Bank, that fan base is why is the, the argument that you should bring it to London. I think that, that fan base is why it's worth the investment. Uh, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with with them not going there. Um, let's see. Danny says, uh, hey, Sam, I've been listening to your podcast for over a year and it's become a regular part of my wrestling programming. I started watching GCW about six months ago and not always, but fairly often they have your website, I'm Not Sam, on their ring mat. My question is how long you've been involved with GCW and who are some of your favorite stars and or shows that they've put on? Um... Well, I've known uh, Brett Lauderdale, who promotes GCW for a very long time, since before GCW existed. When, you know, on the East Coast Indies, he's he's a referee, you know. Um, so I've been aware of GCW for a very, very long time. Um, if you go back and listen to the podcast, you know I'm a very big Nick Gage uh, supporter. Nick Wayne, I'm excited, is going uh, to his AEW debut this week. I think that's going to be great. I was there at the Hammerstein Ballroom show. I was there in Atlantic City when they did the death match between uh, Matt Cardona and Nick Gage. Uh, I've been there a whole bunch. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's the opportunity to put a big Not Sam logo on GCW's ring mat. And and trust me, if they opened up, if they said to me, we can put your logo on every single ring mat for the next, you know, two years. I'd pay in advance. I think it's the it's, I think it's the coolest thing. When I see pictures of GCW, I've had Effie, Alley Catch, Nick Gage, uh, a ton of people on this show, um, and I'm I'm just I'm a big fan of what they do, and I love that I get the opportunity to be involved. It's 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 the coolest thing in the world. Um, but there are a lot of cool things in the world. Uh, I hope that you'll be there for a cool, cool thing, which is Saturday, August 5th, uh, at the uh, the live Not Sam Wrestling Show at the Detroit House of Comedy. That's going to be extremely cool. It's going to be Carlito cool. And uh, uh, I hope that you're subscribed to Not Sam Wrestling on YouTube. I hope you're leaving comments. I hope you're hitting like. I hope you're watching the podcast there every single week. I hope if you're listening on Apple, you're leaving a rating, you're leaving a review. I hope if you're listening on Spotify, you're leaving a rating. And I hope that you'll be here next week. I hope if you want more content, you're going to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week and all my innermost thoughts on all the world of professional wrestling. We'll see you again soon.